Welcome to the Mastering the Mind podcast. Today we welcome Glenn Vergutteren to the podcast. Glenn is a Belgian sports physiotherapist who is currently working at Saudi Arabia football club Al Fateh Sports Club. Glenn has a variety of experience and has worked at various clubs such as Union St. Gilles and Anderlecht in Belgium, as well as at FCKS Samara in Russia. Glenn is also the founder of Get Up and Over, a sport rehabilitation and performance clinic based in Brussels. So let's welcome Glenn to the podcast. I don't feel bad because it's been raining all day, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah, it was raining here in the morning. I thought, oh, shall I go and work or not? But we did anyway. Unlike Glenn in the uh, sun, is, <laughs> the sun out. But anyway, yeah. So a great place we like to start, Glenn, is for the listeners to get to know you. So talk us through your journey to date. So from the start, from growing up to where you are now, if you could give us an overview, what would that look like? Yeah, so um, at the moment, I'm a sports physio and rehab coach in Saudi Arabia. I'm working with a Belgian coach and most of the staff is, is European. Uh, but my journey in football started when I was born because my dad is an export player and a football coach. Um, so I was born in France in 89. Um, and then we moved to Belgium. Uh, so I'm Belgian. I need to say this. <laughs> so my <laughs> colleagues always say that I'm French also, but I'm probably part. Um, and then I started to study in Brussels. So I got a master in physiotherapy. Uh, I got my UFB license for uh, coaching um, because I think that's important when you do uh, rehab to understand the, the game better and to understand what the coach really wants instead of just like doing the rehab and, and not having uh, something related to the to the pitch. Um, I did a couple of uh, courses after that for manual therapy, for hook therapy, all of the things that you need to increase your baggage of skills. Um, I worked with amateur football to start. Um, and then I worked in second division with uh, White Star Brussels. Um, we, when I started in January, they were very bad. The position in the league was very bad, I mean. Um, and the year after, we uh, won the championship. But unfortunately, they didn't give us the license. So the team was relegated to uh, lower division. So instead of going to first, they went to third. It was a lot of um, yeah, hassle for a lot of players and, and some could um, and succeeded to get out of that position and still play in first division in Belgium or abroad. But some really, really disappeared. From there, I went to Russia, which was really, really good. I was in uh, Samara. That's a, the town that's about as big as Brussels. And it's by the Volga, so it's a really really pretty and, and long river. So it's very beautiful in the summer, very sunny, very hot. But then in the winter, it goes like to minus 25. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not so nice. It's really pretty and they're, they're adapted. So you can drive, you can uh, take the plane, but yeah, it's, it's freezing cold. Um, so I was doing consultancy for them for about two years. Uh, before they hired me full-time. Um, so we went also from second division to first division. Then we stayed there two years. 
Um, then after that, I came back to Belgium, worked there in my own clinic, um, went to Union Saint-Gilles, when they uh, just got bought by Brighton. Um, well, it's, it's the owner of Brighton who is, um, I think, the owner of the, he's the chairman of the club. My wife is looking at me like this because she was from Brighton and she, <laughs> oh, really? she works at Union. That's why we met. So she said, hey, be careful what you say. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm part French, part Belgian, part English. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good mix. And um, yeah, so I stayed there for a season. And then I went to Anderlecht where I stayed a season and a half. Uh, and now I'm here. It's been, I think in... Little less than one month, I've been here for a year, so uh, it's really cool. And in the meantime, I opened my private clinic in, in Brussels. So, nice. something that I found interesting about your journey was um, how you'd done your UEFA B license. That's quite a high level badge to get. You must be quite interested in coaching. Um, was there ever a time where you thought you was going to go into coaching rather than physiotherapy, or was it always in your mind? You know, physiotherapy is for me. No, I, I think it's both. I like both. Um, yeah. I like the the fact that I can like do my job as a physio and do my job as a coach. And I think they really blend into each other. Um, but I remember at Union that um, the coach who now is the head coach of uh, Standard, so Luca Elsner, we were thinking about maybe um, changing my position from physio to uh second assistant okay so third coach um and then in the end we didn't do it because there was more work on the medical side than on the other one but I, i've always uh, gave my opinion on that side because i've been raised in, in high level football uh, coaching and i've always traveled read saw i've been it since since i'm young because we used to go and, and watch my dad uh, give training as an assistant or as a, as a head coach um, but always before that, I ask because I know what my position is. So when I'm hired here, my um, contract is as a rehab coach. So here I'm more a football coach than, um, than a physio. So I'm doing both, but my task is more towards the pitch and helping the coach than really more the medical part. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was hard because that's the problem. Um, because I've been working at elite level for about a little less than 10 years now, um, I am not considered as a professional player regarding um, the help that I could get, get these licenses. So I had to start from scratch, mm. uh, combining my job in, in my clinic, work um, as a physio for a team, and then studying. So it was really really hard really intense because you need to go through all the steps follow all the courses and um i got it when i was at union but that year we were uh, playing semi-finals of the belgian cup and i remember it was it was really difficult because we were training or having to go uh like on mini camps and i had to go on top of that go follow classes yeah. go film games uh, make the videos of it and that was that was really hard um, I want to continue and, and get my A license um, because, yeah, I think it's important to, to stay on top of the game and to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
what I've been doing on the pitch or in the gym is really close to individual coaching. So that's something that I really like. And I think that's, that's one of my strengths on the pitch is analyzing the player and then focusing on his strengths or his weakness, weaknesses. But yeah, I like, I like coaching too. I was not expecting that at all, like that you, you're really passionate about the coaching side. Um, but it does make sense because on social media, you seem to have like a close relationship with the players. Um, so what is kind of your approach to, to the coaching? Is it more like you, you need to have that connection with the player or do you like to delegate, like or just tell them what to do, etc.? What's your kind of approach? I think from, from what I saw and from what I experienced or read, I think communication is is a key, um, and especially that's that's um, now in the world of elite football or, or sports in general or rehab in general. If you don't understand what the person wants, you cannot uh, help them. I think so. So I think communication is really key, and then you need to find the right way to say it. Because when I was working with my dad, and my dad was the coach. Because I know him, it was easier for me to tell him stuff because I knew that at some moment, oh, now is really not the time to go and say something. Mm-hmm. And some moments I know, oh, okay, now is the moment to push an idea or to push, uh, to bring something forward. So I'm more of, of that type to try to make the people think by themselves um, and end up having the same goal and then work towards that. But yeah, sometimes you also need to tell them something they might not see because you, you have a different perspective and, and say, okay, you should do this more because maybe they don't see it or, or the numbers don't show it or, you know, I'm, I'm mm. more of think by yourself and then I'll help you with that. Okay. Fantastic. So what was it like growing up with, uh, with your dad obviously being a huge Belgian legend? Tell us more about that. It, it was really cool because he always, when he could, took us to trainings. And um, yeah, it's also not, not easy because my parents split when I was quite young. So we were between home and, and then on three days we went to my dad. So it was not easy because he traveled a lot. Uh, you know, you go to European games, you have games in the weekends, so you stay at the hotel the day before. So it's not easy, but as much as we could, we went to see him or he came to see us. Um, and most of the time the people were friendly and um, polite. But I remember that there was a period where it was really like, you sit at the table at the restaurant with your family and and people come and they bother you. They ask you for this, they ask you for that, they ask your opinion. I know it's part of the job, but sometimes you need also to let people live a normal life. And, and, you know, we're eating, you you can ask a question, but don't start like, oh, what's the tactic for next week? And start to have a real discussion the person just wants to be with his family. He doesn't have the time. But yeah, I remember um, we had every, every now and then cameras at home for interviews and stuff. And, and yeah, I can, I can still see it. One day they came to film us and there was a game on TV and I was faking that they were, I was, I don't know, four or five years old. I was faking that there was a goal. I shouted, <laughs> oh, it was, it was not real. It was not at all. Yeah. It was nothing. I was like, oh my God, I tried to steal the show, but it's not about yeah. music. So <laughs> <laughs> did you yeah. ever um did you ever try and follow in his footsteps? Did you have pressure to try and become a like a professional footballer? No, not really. He always pushed us to do 
sport and to work out because you know how important it is for for social life for for your health for for all of that uh but not really i started to play in mechelen when i was young so then he was um he was working there also but not as a coach uh, yet and um then i stopped because it was difficult as i said you know uh, parents when they split up it's not it's not always easy that and also i have three brothers so yeah we used to live in brussels we need to go to school this one needs to go to that team this one needs to go to that team this one needs to go to that sport so it's, it's it was really hard and at some point i said i'm i'm bored of, of of the road and it helped my parents of me saying that because then they didn't have to to do it anymore and and also yeah i stopped a few times i started again and then i played again i went to third division with the uh, second team uh, i played third division in indoor also so but i was not the most talented um but i could see things so i had a good good vision and a good sense of what was uh, happening around me um but yeah not not really he never really pushed us i also don't think i would have made it to the top <laughs> to be honest but um yeah i'm not going to use the excuse because i told my acl when i was young <laughs> i was going to ask and, about uh, that the yeah, classic yeah, but, I did my knee. yeah 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 <laughs> you know i could have been to liverpool but exactly. yeah, i did my knee if it wasn't for <laughs> no, the no, acl yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no no it's not that it really happened and that yeah, was yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it was just bad that was just bad yeah. but it's 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 good and it gives me because i can play a little bit uh it gives me uh it helps me on the pitch because you know sometimes you need to train with high level athletes like we had at Anderlecht you know when we do the rehab of uh in some company if you miss a pass he's going to he's going to kill you so you need to be fully focused you need to be really like pushing and playing hard and and be strong and and of course you cannot level up with them that's not possible but you need to be quite good because if you're if you want to work at the high level you need to be able to play football a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your injury, so would you say that kind of inspired you to go into physiotherapy, uh to choose that kind of career path? I think yes, because I had a coach that when I was young, uh, he made us do an appropriate exercise like sprinting up and downhill with weights when we were 10-11 years old or something like that. So we had a lot of muscle injuries, we had a lot of growth problems in the team and I think that was the first time that I went to the physio. Um and then when I was 12 13 uh, so I tore my ACL. I had a big injury. So my meniscus was injured, my uh, patella was uh, half fractured. So it was like a big deal and that's when I started to go really to the to the physio for a longer period. And I wanted after that to give something back. So um I wanted to help players with um a good way of coaching and a good understanding of the physical aptitudes and body and and what you should do with it to make sure that yeah you avoid them to get injured by your fault because that was in the end what happened that time and then I wanted to yeah give back because they helped to me uh, come back and uh, yeah that's what the concept my clinics called get up and over I had it tattooed on my arm that came after but that who came first and it was really like there's no there's no other way you need to 
when, when you have something, you need to stand up and, and go over it. And it's not always easy. It's not always um, the best, but that's that's my way of, of life. And, uh, sometimes you don't reach where you were before, but at least you're at your maximum of, of that point. But um, yeah, it almost went a different way because I wanted to maybe go to the army. Oh, yeah? Okay. Is, Completely so, different. Yeah. Yeah? What, what, what stopped you from doing that? I don't know. Um, I questioned myself a few times, even during my studies, even when I started to work, because it was also the same spirit of um, I want to help people. And that was my way of helping someone, helping your country. Helping, yeah. Yeah. I was sort of similarly when I, I was going through my studies where I don't know, halfway through, I, I sort of think, is this all worth it? And I, I was questioning, like, should I just go for an easier career option? Because in psychology, there's very, very limited jobs out there. It's very hard to sort of envision a pathway of where you're going to go. Um, so, yeah, I, I had doubts, but um, I suppose every, everything's for a reason. So, And here we are, you know, recording podcasts yeah. on the regular <laughs> no, and I think it's really it's really interesting because my brother he started to study that. My okay. best friend she has a master in that, but now as you said, she she's working for a company, a lawyer's company, is type of HR or yeah. something like that, and it's not really what you what you think. And um, what I find really important in, in your job is that you help the other ones too, because it's very like a lot of, of social work also. You need to, yeah listen to the problems, try to find a solution. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really difficult, but that, that really helps. And yeah, it's really, it's important. And people have, from my point of view, or from my perspective, too much the idea of, oh, I go to the psychologist because I'm crazy or because I, I have problems, but it's not at all that way. They need to no. see it as a, somebody who's going to guide you or help you or reach your goals. And this in, in life as as a as a ceo in life as as a father as a mother as a single man who wants to get something you know as, a, as an athlete and, and i think that is the key and in football it's not always really seen that way but when you look at hockey for example a lot yeah. of them have a mental coach and they have it for years so it's yeah. start to get there and, and you can probably say something about it in Genk, but yeah in Genk they didn't have uh didn't have a when i was there they didn't have a sports psychologist i think they did maybe the year before but their collaboration stopped but it's not it's not from my from my experience it's not their priority right now uh in football clubs in belgium i don't know what it's like in other clubs but i think standard maybe had a a sports psychologist at some point um, what is it like in in, uh, in Anderlecht? Did, did they have one? Yeah, they have one. Uh, Ellen Scooper, she also oh, yeah. works with the national team of basketball. She works with a lot of um, athletes too. Um, she was working mostly with the, Aca the academy first, and then she started to do the, the first team. Um, but yeah, she, she was helping a lot, and I had good talks with her because, um, you know, sometimes you don't understand the player and you see like, why is he angry? Why is he mad? Why is he always injured? What's the problem? And you cannot reach him. Mm. Um, or some coaches cannot reach him, or some colleagues of him cannot, cannot reach him. And then she helps find a solution because sometimes, you know, they, they don't want to talk because it's, 
it's hard at home or, or they're going through a divorce or, or they're not playing. And you cannot always ask the coach, like, why am I not playing? Why am I not playing? That's, that's yeah, that's part of, of this business. And uh, my relationship with her was, was pretty good because we could help each other without mm. um, telling the details. So I didn't need to know what the problem was, but she could explain to me use can. these sentences or yeah. go work that way and and last year when i was here uh, i had a few sessions with her to help me um, be more productive because i was feeling that yeah you know it was it was during the ramadan so everything is closed until like five six in the evening everything of your day shifts so it's really hard because you wake up at a normal time and then, yeah, you train at 10 o'clock in the evening. So all day you're there and, and like waiting for something to happen. So I had a few sessions with her that, that really helped me. And, uh, yeah, we're still in contact. And I think that's a good part of, of, of under like this to continue to work on that. And they start with the youth. So when the, the guys get to the first team, they're used to it and they know why it is important. And of course, it doesn't work with everyone because you need to be open to discuss. Um, yeah, that, that's a pretty good job that they do. Mm -hmm. Talking about that um, constant communication you had with the psychologist, um, how important is it for you? Because obviously the role of a physiotherapist, you sort of got to be quite clued on with your psychology because you're in constant communication with the players. Probably going to be the closest relationship uh, club with the player. How have you found that relationship? Do you think that's important? Yeah, I think it, it's it's major. If you want to achieve something with a team, you need to be close to your players. But mm -hmm. you need to be careful that you're not too close. Okay. So you you can be... I don't know if it's the word friend is really the, the right one, but you can be really friendly to them. But still, you need to draw a line because at the end, you're still working for the club and you need to... Uh, use it in a way that they trust you and you don't break that trust. So when they give you some information, you need to be able to think of what you're going to do with it. Like, is it important? Is it not important? Can I help with it? Can Do I need to transfer it? Do I need to tell this to the coach or not? So you need to really find a, a balance. And I think it's the physio rooms or the muscle rooms are always the room where there's the most people because they yeah. like to chat, they like to laugh because they... They also know that we will be a little less strict at some point, you know. Um, and then that's where you exchange because you have the guy in front of you or in the gym with you months and months in a row for hours and hours and hours. And, and you really get close to them. And then you tell them stuff, they tell you stuff, but you need to be able to still um, keep their respect because the day you're going to tell them, do this, they still need to do it. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you're also part of the staff of the team. So you're not a player and you're not... Um, that's, that's really difficult in, in, in all job or in all function is that you're not really staff because they, they don't look at you like, like technical staff, but you're not a player. So where are you in between? And I think there's still a lot of progress to do there because it's yeah. always like, oh, we're going to go eat with the technical staff. Oh, yeah, but what about the medical staff? Oh, technical staff gets a nice dressing room. And yeah, but what about the medical staff? And, and the players get a new dressing room. But you no, know, I think there's still 
a big improvement to making in, in a lot of clubs or in a lot of countries on, on where to you know, pull each other. Because at the end of the day, from what I see is we're one team, all of them. You know, the guy that sits on the bench, he needs to be as happy as the guy that sits in the stands, as the guy that scored the goal. Because in the end, everybody goes from this. And I think that that is something that needs to, yeah, be the central point of, of everything, is, is winning together. And not like, oh, I hope that he misses this penalty because next time I will be shooting. Yeah. And that gets a bad vibe. What I see here in, in Saudi is sometimes we eat with, uh, with the team and then you have these big plates and everybody eats with their hands and the chairman sits and eats from the same plate as the kid man. And this is totally normal. Yeah. And and that's really nice because you see that, you know, at the end we're eating. He's eating the same as I eat. Mm. Yes, I have a lot more than him, but we are human and we're people. And I think that's that's really, really, really important. But, uh, 100%. Yeah, I, I had fun with players. Some players I'm, I'm close to. And, uh, you know, Alexis Salamakas, who plays in uh, in Milan, yeah. used to laugh a lot and we used to um, scare each other, you know, hide behind the door. <laughs> and uh, one time at camp, not one time at band camp, one time. <laughs> <laughs> the reference, oh my God. <laughs> We know it. So, um, we we were scaring each other, and I was texting. I was hiding in inside of a, uh, a closet, and I was texting him like, "Oh, come to the medical room." Uh, and then he was saying, "Oh, I'm in the medical room." And for five minutes, we were saying like, but I could see through the opening of the door that he was not there, but he yeah. was saying he was there. And at the end, I opened the door. And he was standing <laughs> on the other side of the wall and he was waiting for me to come in and I was waiting for yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. One thing I was going to ask just about being a physio. Um, have you ever had like a moment where when a player is injured and it's like one of the star players and uh, the manager's like really wants him back? Um, have you ever had to like, I don't know, break protocol and try to get him back much quicker than than what's expected to go full you know but, what i mean yeah but the thing is what you learn at school and what is real life uh, sports medicine it's it's two total different things mm. and the thing is you need to there's a line of this is safe and this is this is dangerous and sports medicine is walking on this line but sometimes you walk next to it because you try to push boundaries because they're their body allows it because you see that it works because you experience it because you play semi-final of uh, the World Cup. You know? The guy needs to play because he's Michael Jordan. He needs yeah. to be, you know, you need to strap him. You need to find a solution. But you always stay in, in what's legal, of course, because that's that's things that you, you don't want to get involved in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you really need to push and see, okay, I think I can get him fit by that time instead of that time. But yeah. it's always a risk. And then you need to evaluate this risk with the player and with the, with the staff, with the club. Because you need to say, okay, I think he can play at 10 minutes. Or yeah. I think he can play 30 minutes. Or I think he cannot play. 
maybe the coach will still say, and the player will say, no, no, I'm ready to play. Okay? And you're going to follow that decision. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you succeed, sometimes you miss. Yeah. That needs to be, um, yeah, discussion that you have. You need, to, you need to push because it's elite, but you still need to put the health of the player at the first position because, yeah, you don't want him to, okay, swallow all these pills and you will feel nothing anymore and then, okay, yeah, you ruptured yeah. it all and that, that's yeah. not a good thing. But, yeah, you, you need to push and, and especially now with everything that is involved financially and, and uh, you know, he needs to be fit as fast as possible. But sometimes by not letting him play one game but play all the others, but it's really, really hard. And some, some coaches are ready to listen and some are not. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask as well, um, I don't know what it's like in Saudi Arabia, but um, the increase in amount of games that players are having to play. Um, how have you found that in maybe working out different players' loads? Is it quite high demand in Saudi Arabia? Because obviously I'm from the UK, the Premier League, the amount of games they have to play, like Champions League tonight. They're playing two games every week, you know. It's um, especially with the no breaks, like going straight into the Euros, year after, straight into the World Cup because of COVID. You know, they're never going to have a break. Um, how how have you found that um, in the injury room? I've seen it with players that I worked with at clubs and, and outside. Um, sometimes, well, most of the times, they finish by breaking, either mentally or, or yeah. their body, because you cannot push yourself that much without the rest mm. um, then what's going to happen is you're going gonna to get a big injury you're going to rupture your Achilles or your ACL or you're going to have a burnout because you're bored of it and you only only play um, so it's really important to manage the load during the season and again go to something that's more individualized and, and that's what we try to do here is okay this player played all the games maybe he doesn't do that part of the training or instead of doing that part of the training, he will do this. Okay. He will do more runs or he will do less runs. I will do more sprints. So you really need to manage the load as good as possible and then dare to talk to the coach about it. So you need to tell the coach, listen, he's, he's cracking. We, we have players that, that play now for um, national teams. So when we have breaks, they come in and sometimes they, they land a few days before the game. But they traveled all the way all around the world, and then you need to say, okay, do they play? They don't play. How fresh are they? How fatigued are they? So it's really, really hard to manage, and that's why our relationship also needs to be close to the physical coach because you need to follow follow up. Like, can he do more, or can he can he not? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Another thing. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm super interested. The first time I've ever had a physiotherapist on, so like, I'm just getting all these questions out. Um, I saw a lot of uh, work on Sky Sports where they did a um, Jamie Carragher did like a medical, and uh, it was super interesting to see what they actually do during medicals. Is that part of your role? If a player comes in, are you part of that sort of medical where you put them through their paces? check for injuries and, and things like that, like underlying problems. Would that be part of something that you do? Yeah, so that's things that we do at the club. So you do, you help do the pre-signing uh, checkup. What's the routine uh, of that? It depends what the club needs uh, or what the people need or what, um, you know, we do that at the, 
at, the, at my clinic, for example, what we do when people come in, regular patients or athletes, is we ask a few questions, like what's your background? What's your injury history? Do you take medication? Do you have injury um, history uh, related to concussions or stuff like that? You, know, you, you need to know as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and then you do a screening on the table. That means checking mobility, checking uh, how lean they are, if there's some uh, range of motion that's decreased. And then you do testings on um, machines to know the imbalances between your adductors and your abductors, your um, left and your right. So, so you go through a series of, of uh, tests and protocols that you think are the best ones. Mm. You check literature, you check uh, what you do in clubs. And this can be done in, in like short periods or long. It can also be uh, what most of the clubs ask is like to do uh, MRI of the knee or the ankle or check the hips or uh, radio of your thorax to see your chest or send you to the cardiologist. So as, as, um, as a physio here, this is part of my job. At Anderlecht, it was also part of our job with the doctor. One yeah. of the physios was doing the VO2 max testings at the club. Um, so yeah, it, it is a part of our job because we need to tell, like, don't sign him or sign him. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So let's say, uh, have you ever had a situation where a big player comes in, like a really good, talented player, and you've maybe found uh, an underlying problem or something that may reoccur, and you, you might have gone to the club saying, you know, I'm not sure about this guy. Has that ever happened to you? To, to me, not. But these are the things that, that happen in some clubs is that, you know, they go on loan, they go uh, see the doctor and then the doctor of the team say, oh, no, we don't take him. Or um, that they say uh, that that is a moment usually when they see that they have cardiac problems. So I was working with a player uh, at White Star and he went to Ghent. And in Ghent, they find out afterwards to doing tests during the season that he had a cardiac problem so sometimes this is life-saving so yeah. it is really important to continue to do it and then then it is a discussion because you can have a player that has big cartilage problems when you look at the mri or the imagery but then when he plays he's fine mm. so what do you do? do you look at the clinic or do you look at the images how much is he worth is he going to play how long contract you know, that, that's still, at the end of the day, a discussion to have with, with everyone around the table, yeah. with and without the player. Um, but yeah, there you, you need to give your opinion, because sometimes you will say, I think from a medical point of view, that it's a risk for the player or for the club to sign somebody with this type of injury or this type of injury. But sometimes you might be wrong, because he can play all, all season. And it could go the other way, where... I mean, you saw it with Lukaku where he, he played for Man, Man U and then he went to AC Milan. AC Milan checked him over, saw that he had a, was it a, a digestive problem? Like it was something to do with that. And then the AC Milan staff sort of saw it, not AC Milan, Inter Milan. Because <laughs> we talked about AC Milan earlier. With, uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. No, Inter Milan. And then they obviously sorted it out. Um, and then suddenly it's turned into this absolute beast of a striker. Even though he was previously um, unreal in the, in the Prem, it just didn't, didn't really work out for him at Man U. Um, but yeah, no, it could go that way where the staff sort of realise a problem, but they can actually fix it. So they'll sign him on and potentially it could go the other way where he increases in value. 
yeah, and it works course. out for the benefit. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really important to also be able to um, tell that you don't know because yeah. you need to be able to send them to the best person in charge. And if yeah. at the club you cannot take care of him because you have 20 other players and sometimes he needs to go to a private physio for a period or to a private physio that works with the team, but at other times, you need to be able to say, this is how it goes. As long as you work to the, on the same line and that you all agree that work at the club is priority. Um, because, because, yeah, you cannot always help everyone. So I'm, not, I'm not a specialist. Mm. Um, I'm not an optician, is that what you say? So maybe at, uh, during the test we see that that he's half blind. Like, yeah, I, I cannot help you with that. So I need to send you <laughs> to somebody, somebody yeah. who can. And, and yeah, you're yeah. right. Sometimes it's it's an added value for the club because you buy him, then you see, or maybe they sell him because this digestive problem that they cannot fix. Mm. And then you fix it, he scores twice as much as, as he used to. Boom, you make yeah. the money out of it. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> we have a doc what we sort of follow and we have gone way away I've just got all, <laughs> I've just got all my questions out so let's take it back to the start so <laughs> um, when we was researching you um, we saw like we was going to ask you did you have any inspirations growing up we saw that you mentioned uh, LeBron James um, does he inspire you is, is he someone that inspires you or is there anyone else that inspires you um I'm, I'm really inspired by him because from, from what I, I read or I see, like this year is his 19th season, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. every year he keeps on being one of the best players because he invests in everything. He keeps time for his family. He keeps time to recover. He keeps time to celebrate because you see uh, basketball players at the end of the championship after a big win, they're smoking cigars mm. you know, or they're drinking wine on social media. They're like, oh, um, hmm. I think it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm not going to say, I think, yeah, I will not say a name because I'm not sure, but they own wine uh, vineyards. Okay. So, you know, this is also part of why I like it because he's a businessman. He invests, I read one time that he invests more than $1 million a year in his uh, body. So yeah. Recovery, sleep, food, coaching, physios, masseurs. That shows that every year he's on he's on top of the league. So that's what I what I really like. And mm. I think that's that's a key because even if you're talented, as they say, you still need to work because at the end of the day, that's what's going to keep you on top of the game. Yeah, something I like about uh, LeBron James is that um, he constantly is like keeping in touch with his teammates, checking up on them. Like he'll just randomly FaceTime them and. Uh, it kicks off tonight, doesn't it? Against uh, he's against Golden uh, State tonight. Are you watching it? No, tonight because we go eat with the coach. Um, okay. And I think it's really late here. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Uh, we're gonna stay. I'm gonna stay up for it. Uh, You're tonight. gonna stay up. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, dedication. Wreck tomorrow, but Nets versus Bucks as well. So I'm looking forward to that as well. <laughs> it's it's. I know that um, I went two years ago to watch an NBA game in uh, at the O2. Was okay. The O2? Yeah. I think yeah. once a year they play in London. Yeah, probably. That, that's what team was that? What team did you watch? What team did we watch? Uh, I think it was Brooklyn against the Bucks or something like that. Okay. Something, yeah. something like that, two, three years ago. But yeah, when I my best friend lives in the US and when I go, I, 
I go and watch games. I was um, I was in Miami when they played uh, Miami against the Lakers, and when they retired the number of uh, shirts of uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. So was, uh, yeah, I like I like basketball. Awesome. Yeah, that's our dream. We've recently got into basketball, and we want to uh, do a tour in the Master in the Mind tour in America, <laughs> and uh, and we also like um, Raptors uh, go Canada. Uh, we love Canada as well, so lots to yeah, do. Maybe sure. you can have Drake at the same moment, and, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> shouting on the sidelines like he does in, <laughs> in the games. <laughs> this guy is shambles. Oh, um, God. But yeah, I guess it's not going to come on. <laughs> oh yeah, oops. <laughs> But a great example in football is obviously Ronaldo. Like he invests so much in his body, and I think was it Ferdinand that said that he was the first person he actually saw that he was actually investing um, in a team of professionals uh, to help him um, perform optimally. So, so yeah, I, that's why I, I love Ronaldo for that purely because uh, of that kind of professionalism, like LeBron. Uh, but yeah. yeah, of course, and. and um... I know that he has a sleeping coach also. Uh, and no then way. they changed some, some part. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link to the book because the guy wrote the book and it was really interesting. And um, I think they changed the lighting of his house um, to help him perform better. Like, yeah. uh, the intensity of the light can help you rest or make you awake. So this was played on. I think now he paid, I don't know how much, to, to transfer his cryotherapy machine. Um, and I think it's when he won one of the Golden Balls that um, he paid, he offered a big gift to all the physios of the team of Real Madrid. And uh, because he was, he, was, he was grateful for their work. And now in Manchester, I read a few weeks ago that in Manchester, people started to like, oh, what is he eating? What yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing? Because, yeah, he still inspires people, even if yeah. he's, if he's yeah. 35 years old. We're, back, we're big Man United fans. So like, we, we, we saw that as soon as it came out, like people not going up for dessert and things like that, not taking sugar in their teas, yeah, things, things like that. I can't believe that sleep coach. That's, uh, it just shows the levels that he, he goes to to like really improve. That's why, for me, He'll always be, I'll always have him above Messi just because of how hard he works. He dedicates himself to the sport. Um, whereas for Messi, it's more natural, which is not a bad thing. Like the guy's yeah. unbelievable. But I just think for Ronaldo, just his values are just, it's just unreal. It's inspiring. It's so yeah. inspiring. Not not only because not only because he plays for Manu. Yeah, We're not yeah. biased at all. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> but I remember growing up, it was... Uh... He was watching, yeah, Ryan Giggs, Cole. Yeah. All the boys. <laughs> yeah. In the prime days, and now it's not so prime. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, going back to your career. So, your first job was, uh, or your big job, was abroad at um, FCKS Samara in Russia. What was that experience like? And um, was it hard to adapt with, like, the language and things like that? It was not easy because the first time I... I worked with them was on camp, so that was not so bad because everybody was, was there. But the first time I went to Russia, first of all, you need a visa. So that's that's really difficult. Then you, so that was in 2000, I think, 15, already some, some time ago. When you get to the airport, nothing is written in English. It's yeah. a different alphabet. 
Where do you go? <laughs> Who do you ask? They don't answer. They don't know. Yeah. So they don't answer. I remember when I was there at first, we were only eating shazli kuritsa. So it's skewers of chicken because that was the only thing we could say. <laughs> and at first there were no, no images on the menu. And it was only English menus, um, only Russian menus. Yeah. So yeah, it was really, really difficult to adapt on, on these things. And the first weekend that I was there, the team was flying to St. Petersburg um, and I had to stay at the club with two injured players. I didn't speak any Russian. They didn't speak any English. Go find out, figure it out, show, be inventive. You Google and, and now it's good because with Google uh, the app, you can like take a photo of it and it translates. But back then, I didn't know about that. So I was yeah. eating the skewers for months and months and months. <laughs> And then you, you start to learn a few words, then, then a few sentences, and then you start to take classes because in the end, that's what, that's what I ended up doing. Because you still want to learn and you still want to adapt. And yeah, it's a big country. So they expect you, which, which I totally understand. That's what I try to do everywhere I go is adapt to the culture. Because you come to them. It's not the opposite. So you need to learn what they do. And then, yeah, you need to adapt to, to the code. I remember we, we played one game, it was minus 14. So there was a, a player at the end uh, of the first half. He had like ice in his beard from sweat and water. Jesus. And you're there. If you don't dress up, <laughs> yeah. you die. 17 layers on or something. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. So, so these crazy. are the things. Also, what they eat, uh, what they drink. You need to adapt to all the, the sleeping pattern. Although, how do they, you know, they train, how professional they are, unprofessional to some of the, the countries or things that you're used to. So that's, yeah. That was also for me the first time that I had to travel by plane to play games. Because Samar is 1,000 kilometers from Moscow. So when you yeah. go play Lokomotiv or Dynamo or, or these things, you need to fly. But that need, that also needs preparation. And, and what do you do? The first year in second division, they had to go close to Japan. But then you need to fly eight hours. What time you train? What time you eat? When do you leave to to avoid as much as possible this jet lag? So you start to think differently because yeah, do I leave close to the game and we train here, or do we leave long time before so that they can adapt? That is really yeah breaking your mind because you need to see okay what what do they like to eat before? So we would be okay. We have pasta with chicken for example, something easy. They were like no, they had some some toasts. With, um, it's not caviar, but it looks like caviar. And that was part of their tradition. So they eat this before each game. But like, what, what uh, nutritional value is this? Is, yeah. is it good, not good? But you cannot fight everything because then yeah, you, you go against what they're used to. And maybe that helps. And then if you take that away and you lose, it's the, oh, mm. <laughs> you took away it's all the toast. Those, you know? Yeah, it's the toast. <laughs> So, uh, no, it was, it was really hard. And, and some players, yeah, they, they didn't spoke any English. But we had a translator. Uh, he spoke seven languages fluently. So, uh, but he was always with the head coach. So I, I was in the gym and I was like, yeah, find out. You, know? mm. you were by yourself. <laughs> yeah. But that's how you learn the best. And that yeah, was true. hard afterwards because when I came back and when somebody spoke to me, I still have it now a little bit. And somebody spoke to me in a different language than 
English and French, my brain thinks answer in Russian. So it's really, really difficult to, mm. like you want to say thank you in Spanish, the first thing that would come to my mind is spasiba. So thank you in Russian. But then you're like, makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. So yeah my mom's learning spanish at the minute and uh she has that problem with uh french and uh and spanish so when she speaks french obviously here in belgium she starts spitting spanish words out and <laughs> she's like oh sorry like <laughs> my brain's just uh fried right now but it's, yeah it's really difficult i know it's like two languages is easy to you know to manage but like you said when it's when it's that third one is your brain just gets all mushy uh, the, the, yeah. What was uh, go on. You can probably gonna ask the same questions, mate. Go on. I'll, I'll let's, go, see, go. let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What is uh? What's the football like over there? Like, was there any differences between um? Obviously, in Belgium, uh, to, to Russia, what what was the differences like? Uh, some teams are really top because they used to play the top of the Champions League and they, they really have yeah. a lot of money and nice infrastructures. And, and when we were there, they were building the stadiums for the for the World Cup that was coming. You could see a big difference between small teams and really big teams with big names like Mitzel or Hulk. Or, you know? <laughs> Hulk, my God, his left foot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but these things... In the end, it's more about the work ethic. So, and what you can bring uh, to them that makes the difference of where you stand in the league. But we had a, we had a quite good team with some players. Um, we had last season Jenny Bruno plays in Ghent now. Um, okay. So, so yeah, it was still attractive uh, to watch. Because some of the teams were really, really good. But of course, you, yeah, you used to go to, to teams that you would say you know, they don't play first division in Belgium. Mm. Talking about the Champions League and um, Russia, uh, I, I watched a YouTuber and he used, to, he used to live in Russia and they were talking about the cultural differences. And um, you see it a lot with, um, I, I don't know whether it's in Russia, but a lot of Eastern European countries where yeah, things like the racism and things like that. What was that like when you was over there um, in terms of that sort of culture? Well, we we didn't really experience it as as um, foreigners. So people were, the Russian people are a little bit, um, they would hold back at first yeah. uh, because they're really pro-Russian. So they stay together, they eat together, they travel in Russia as, as much as possible. But then once they get to know you, they're really open. So I had, yeah. I had a fan who dropped me off at the airport because it was snowing and my car would not um, start. Would not start. Or I, I met people that like bought cakes for my birthday. So they're really friendly in the end. Um, we had uh, Sheldon Bateau who plays in uh, Mechelen in Belgium. Okay. Um, and yeah, we never had, we had foreigner players. We had, uh, we never really experienced it ourselves. Because the new generation, it's the same as here in Saudi. They start to travel, they start to watch English movies, they go abroad, they learn, they listen, they, they have yeah, foreigner friends. So it, I cannot say that I experienced it really like, oh, yeah, it's, it's really bad or... I, th I think it just gets highlighted, you know, and um, you'll see one instance and it will sort of ruin it and, and people will like blame that 
couple of people who have been like that in the stadium on the whole country where it's not like that, you know? Um, that's what this guy was saying. Like he um, he opened like a vegan restaurant and it, it, that wasn't really a thing in Russia. Um, but then once they started to try it and things like that, then they started to be really open. So it's similar to your experience with them. Yeah, that, yeah, that's something. That's why I like to travel and work abroad. It's because you learn from each culture and every time you come back, you have something new to to share or to you understand the other players better. So now that, that I'm going to work with Russian people, I, I have more to share with them and I will understand their behavior better. So I think I can work better with them because I know how it is. But you see, uh, they're very friendly, very funny. And I had the same when I was the first time in Russia. I was like, I'm not going to have Coca-Cola. There's not going to be any McDonald's because you think, oh, it's, it's Russia and America. No way. They have stores that we don't have in Europe that are mm -hmm. from the US. So, so it's really a bad image that we get from the media on, on how it is. And, and uh, yeah, now with the new people growing up and with the World Cup, because that helped a lot. Yeah, they started to have menus. They started to invest more and more in English courses so that they could have people to help them for the tourists and stuff. So the country changed a lot the last years. Mm -hmm. What was the one of the biggest lessons you learned from your experience in Russia? Would you say? <laughs> My biggest, I think, is adapting to the weather and the travel. Mm. Because you, we train by minus twenty-two, um, so you need to make a good warming up. How do you do it? Because you need to raise your body temperature. So what do you do? Do you make it short and intense? Do you do a lot in the gym before? Where's the warming up? How's the cooling down? You need to really keep them moving because yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really freezing. Huh? Yeah. And, um, and then you need to plan on, on traveling because it's everything's so far. You need to yeah, bring as much as possible with you. So I think that was what I learned the most. And that I need to dress up because when you're standing on the side of the pitch giving an exercise, you're not moving. And an hour and a half on minus 22 is really, really cold. I don't think I've ever touched temperatures that cold. Um, what What is it like for you psychologically working in temperatures like that? Is it quite, I don't know, demotivating? Because I know for me personally, when I'm, I work outdoors uh, on the side and during winter, I am like the most unmotivated person to go out and work because of how cold it is. And it's nowhere near minus 25. So I'm just interested to see how is that psychologically for you? But the thing is, it's everything is ready for it. So the roads are cleared. Um, it's not really dangerous because yeah, they, they put salt everywhere. So they prepare everything. So, and the nature is pretty, pretty, uh, it's really pretty. Yeah. So it gives you another boost. And then the air is, is it's a different type of cold. Okay. What we experience in England or, or in Belgium. Yeah. Um, and they're ready for it. But yeah. The other thing is they stopped the, the championship in December. So I think the last game is end of November, start of December. And then you have one month of break and two months of camp. So the hardest months of the winter, you're on camp somewhere else in the world. Right. Yeah. Remember in November <clears throat> when it's, it's dark all the time and when it's minus 20 all day, it's, it's not easy. You really need to love your job to go outside. You really, like, you get tea as soon as you can. You start drinking coffee. You, 
you have a shot of vodka maybe <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask about that cheeky one yeah yeah what's the vodka like <laughs> and you, you go to stores and you have like aisles that are only vodka jesus Yes, they love it. <laughs> I could not hang with a Russian trying to drink with a Russian. They drink me under the table. <laughs> yeah, and you're English, so yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so then you came back to Belgium after that experience, and you worked at Union Saint Chiloy. I, I said yeah. it. In, I said it in the intro. Uh, yeah, I don't know whether I got it right. <laughs> no, yeah, it was good try or good try. <laughs> uh, how, was. how was that? That was really good because I didn't work with a team for a few months. Um, and then um, I got in contact with the sports director. <clears throat> kind of matched immediately with him and with the coach. Um, but that was the time that the World Cup was uh, being played in Russia. So uh, I signed my contract. And before that, I told them, like, uh, I have tickets for the World Cup. And I want to go because it, they were playing in the city where I worked. They built a new stadium where we worked. So it was really important to me to, yeah. to be there, to be part of it. And uh, I wanted to experience it. And I, I bought the ticket, so I needed <laughs> need yeah, to go. Yeah. So part of the deal was, okay, we let you go. But you cannot do all the games that you have tickets for. So that was okay. quite cool of the coach to let me go. I had to find a, a colleague to uh, replace Come me in these times. He's still working there. Both of my colleagues are still working there. Um, since then and it was really good uh, it was not easy at the start because it was a club that was being rebuilt but we got a lot of help from the chairman we got a lot of help and support from everyone from the club um, and everybody really worked toward one goal is, is help the team promote so we had to build everything or, or prepare the new training ground because we're training in not in Brussels, so it was not easy, but everybody adapted because it was it was really nice and it was really funny to work with, even if we started with a few defeats. And uh, yeah, then the feeling was not that good. Uh, but afterwards, we were on a really good, good road. For sure. They're doing really good, aren't they, now? Uh, in the first uh, division, they've really turned around these last few years. It's really nice to see. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're first, they're, they're top of the league. Um, and, uh, that's crazy. I saw that game against Standard uh, a month ago, mm -hmm. or a month and a half ago. It's 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 good because the club is healthy. You see yeah. that they work well. They um, they get good players. They get good combination of players. Um, the the chairman is really close to so Alex Musso is really close to the team. Uh, the CEO and the sports director they really support the team and they're they're close to everyone. So you see that. And they really invest in, in a lot of things. So they also work a lot on sustainability. So they try to make uh, the stadium much more greener. So you see that it's not just, oh, I'm putting money in the club because I hope that I get money back from it. No, no, they really invest in something because they believe it was the right club to invest in it. And, and they're making something really, really good. And, and now you see, okay, we don't know how much, it's, how, how long it's going to last, but they're top of the league and he just got promoted so it's fantastic i hope i hope dante has a a sick season again because uh he's on fire and uh he's very good um in terms of your career as a physio do you think that was an important step 
working at Union, do you think that was a, a great opportunity for you to, to learn things or not so much? It was because I was working with a team. Um, I was working with a team again. So in, in Russia, we were more working with the, uh, the foreigner staff and then the Russian staff was on the other side because it was really hard and, and the methods were different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at Union, I started to work again as a team. So with other physios, uh, delegate who does what, uh, learning your strengths and your weaknesses. So my colleague was really, really good with his hands. So we knew that when there was a really big problem with a back, for example, we would not take it. We would say, okay, go to, yeah. go to him because he's the one who's going to help you the most. And then um, go to him because he needs to go to rehab in the pitch or he does good massages or you know, he's specialized in, in uh, that type of joint. So that was really good. To work with a doctor uh, and to talk with the coaches again and to, to work yeah in belgium it was really really nice again because of that been, uh, mm-hmm. a year and a half or something like and obviously your next step was on the collect so uh you work with some fantastic players during your time there so to name a few nazri trebel doku chadli company so what was that like being uh obviously at the time i think think they were kind of going through a transition period the the club what was your experience there that was really good but it was um it was really special so that's important for people to to dare to try um i was working at union and i just signed a new contract and i think if a little bit before there was a press article saying under alex is getting rid of all of, of most of the medical stuff um that was sent to me by a friend. And the friend said, oh, you should apply with a smiley. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to apply. But I was also at that time, um, maybe talk, um, I was also at that time talking to uh, another club, a big club abroad, uh, the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, I said, I'm not going to do it. You know, and he said, yeah, I never sent something without a reason. So maybe try and so I just, out of the blue, find out the email of the, the guy in charge, and I emailed him. And um, yeah, in the end, uh, I got the job. So, and it's also because of my, my Russian experience, because they wanted somebody who was abroad, they wanted somebody who, who knew multiple languages, and uh, yeah, it was it was really a good experience, because for me, Analyt is the club that I was raised with. Um, so yeah, when I took my mom to the first game, and I see a smile on her face, she hadn't been to the stadium since my dad played, so that was, I don't know how many years ago, so it was really, really good. And, and I remember I was uh, I was coming back from London, so I was going to see my wife, and I was in the line to get on the Eurostar, and then I received a text saying, we signed Chadley. And I was like, oh. Yeah. My hair was like, <laughs> I, I can, I could say, and I can, still can, where I was, who I was with, what I was doing, and how I felt when he scored that goal against Japan. I was like, Shadley, you know? And because I knew from Vinny before already, but when, when I received that message, I was like, wow. And then, of course, you get to work with, with yeah, Premier League athletes, Vincent Company, Samir Nasri, Shadley, Trebel, Doku now in Rennes, Alexi, or, or Sambi, who's in, um, in Arsenal now. So it's, and, and all the others, of course, it's it's really amazing. And, and they, there you see that um, 
they're really professionals. So it is it is a job, but people think it's like it's like a game. No, no. You really see that this is a job. They are paid to do it. They um, need to perform. They know how important it is. They know how many years they still need to play. Um, and you see that dedication in, in, the, in the gym. And sometimes you play, sometimes you don't play. You still need to work for yourself. That's really, that was really something I learned at Anderlecht, that, that yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big job. Mm-hmm. Which player for you was the most sort of disciplined and, um, you know, really trained well? Which one out of all them stars you just mentioned, you think? There are a few. I, I know that Vincent Company was really, um, really well educated on what he could do and could not do. So when you did some exercise, he knew that, oh, need to be careful with that because uh, that can trigger that. So he, he knows his body very well. And he's an athlete. You know, he's really tall. He's really strong. Yeah. He's really good. And, and Adriana Trebel, also. He's yeah. always dedicated because he knows that maybe tomorrow they will ask him to play. And even if he didn't play for six months, he will be there and he will do it. Because yeah. he understands that it's, he's working for himself. And that's what players need to take the example from is that you work for yourself, you train for yourself. If you sometimes you don't want to, you, like you said, you don't want to go outside while it's raining or it's uh, it's snowing, but in the end, you still do it because you know that it's for a greater good. Yeah, and you know that if you run these meters, if you do that effort, if you push that plate, you will become better, and yeah. at the end, it will benefit you mm-hmm. and the club, but you. In the first place, that you play or you don't play. Yeah. That's, that, that's being well, but you don't play. You, know, you can train as good as you want, but if the team is winning 5 0 every week, they're not going to change just for the change. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel sorry for Trebel, especially because I remember, like, I didn't really follow Belgian football be- like be- before coming to Genk, but he got a lot of stick uh, on the deck, like from the media. Um, and yeah, I don't know. He seemed to be a target, but he, like you said, like each time he got on that pitch, he gave a hundred percent. So it's tricky as a as a player, really, isn't it? Right. It's not easy, and that's why you need to be ready. Because when you get all these people um, blaming you for this or for that, you need to prove them wrong. And the only mm. way to prove them wrong is is to perform. Mm, and sure. uh, and that's that's even harder. And mm-hmm. yeah, maybe he did some bad things, maybe he did some good things, maybe one guy doesn't like him and, and they, they blame him for this or for that, but you need to answer with your feet and that's really important. And that's why you guys come into, into play again, because you need to perform and, and it's not easy because you might train, you might think, or you might be the best on the pitch, not in general, but, and still not play, still not perform. So what, what do you do then? And sometimes you go, you start to go down because the coach is not making me play, or maybe I do something wrong, or maybe I'm not good. And that's that's where the, the talk with the sports psychologist is really, really important, or with the physio or the person who, who can help you with that, or your friends or family, uh, to help you keep your head above the water. Because that's where you can start going out, start drinking, start not training anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is really yeah, there's a lot of pressure on these people. They earn a lot of money, but there's a lot of pressure that people don't see or don't, don't think about because you're far away from your family. You don't see them every weekend. You need to travel. You, you cannot eat what you want. You cannot drink what you want. You cannot go where you want. 
you cannot sleep how you want. You know? yeah. It's it's really if you want to perform, of course, you can if you want to be here. Yeah. yeah. Talking about that, and then obviously company become the coach. Did he ever refer back to like his experiences at Man City? Because wasn't it the season before where he scored that worldie that went like top corner and sort of did it win in the league? I'm pretty yeah, sure. it was Leicester. It was against yeah. Leicester, wasn't yeah. it? I think oh, it was unbelievable goal. Yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing, and and that's also where you see, you know, uh, there's an interview of Guardiola where he says. I told him, don't shoot, don't shoot. Oh, yeah, don't, yeah. Shoot. Vinny, don't shoot. Yeah, Vinny, <laughs> don't shoot. Sometimes you need to trust them. Yeah. You need to show them the way you need to tell them what they do. And then in the end, it's not a PlayStation, you know, you, you need to let them do. And, and that day he scored that amazing goal. And he was like, Psst. I love what he said after where he was like, um, I didn't come this far in my career for these young lads to tell me not to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird because like, what are the odds he does it in that game? He scores that goal, and then to win them the league, like it's just crazy. It's, like everything, yeah, it's really crazy and it's really inspiring. You know, sometimes you need to listen to yourself, and when you feel it, then that's also an important thing that I try to do with, with the players in rehab and, and in training is that you you need to visualize visualize the things also because then your body is wired already. And it's ready. And usually when you see amazing goals, it's when the people don't think the mm. ball's coming and you're going to be like, yeah. I'm going to shoot. And then boom, that happens. But if you start to think, oh, I need to control like that. And then I need to push it there. And then you miss because you're thinking too much. But when you visualize before, like if the ball comes like that, I'm going to do that. Or you did so many times on practice that your body has a memory of what to Lighten at what point, and then it goes like, boom, and it's cold. And that was an amazing goal, amazing. And and with the consequences of it, even bigger. Crazy. So what was it like um, working, not the Vincent as a player, but as a coach? Was that transition a bit weird? Because obviously, I know he did have an important role during uh, his playing um, season, but how did you find the transition was that easy for you to to cope with um yes because i worked with him as a player um so i knew how he was like and, and when to talk to him when to not bother him when to mm. when to be quiet because sometimes you were doing a treatment and there's important discussions going on and you know you need to keep that for yourself um but yeah, no, not really, because he already had a big impact on the team. So yeah. the transition was not not that bad. The thing was, when he became a coach, they sacked my dad. So there you need to be able to, you know, I'm I'm here for my work. I'm not I was there before my dad arrived. I was there after him. You still need to work as a professional. And that is really important to not in any case as a player, as a sports psychologist. Let your emotions take over because maybe you agree with the decision to sack him, maybe you disagree with the decision, but that makes that cannot have an impact on your job. You still need to perform at that 100% and you still need to, to do the job for the team and to do what you are paid for. And what you're paid for is help the club. And that's that's the important thing is that you need to stay professional at all times. For sure. It's a tricky situation, isn't it? Uh, I think I, I wouldn't be able to to kind of like manage my emotions in that situation. But uh, 
massive props for you to, to haven't gone through that you know yeah it's it's not easy but you know the, the, the thing is i was there before yeah so i was already aware of the situation i know how it happened how it transitioned so you know that was part of the the game and that, that's how it is you know sometimes you mm. work with a with a coach yeah. sometimes you work with another one and you just need to to adapt what were your dad's thoughts around that time? Um, did he have like any resented company, or was it still mutual? On on what on the decision to? Yeah, was it like uh, like a bad taste, or was it just like time to move on? You know, I think that's a that's a question that you need to ask them. <laughs> uh, no, Oli doesn't, doesn't follow a Belgian football at all, so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. sticky question. No, but, uh... yeah. No comment, no comment. We asked the tricky questions. Uh. <laughs> no. um, so obviously now you're in Saudi Arabia. So tell us what's that that's like. Was it hard to adapt as well, or was it easier than the the kind of Russia experience? It, it was um it was not really easy because it was up after Anderlecht. I just finished all um my works at home. So we we had we, they finished the kitchen day that they called me to come here Typical. <laughs> like, oh, no. okay um but then yeah i wanted to try i wanted to to work i wanted to find joy in my my uh, work again because that was not so much the case um a little bit before that yeah so yeah i, I really needed a new experience and i wanted to to work with a coach that I'm, that I crossed path with at the beginning of my career because when I started, um, he and part of the staff that's here, they won the championship with Sanford. So that was 2015, no, 2014, I think. Um, and it, it was really good. Uh, I like the sun and obviously you see the difference mentality uh, and how people smile, how people are. Uh, but at first it was, it was not easy because not everybody speaks uh, English. When you get here the first time for your visa, it's really complicated. Um, organization is not always on point like we are, so you need to adapt on these things. You cannot be as strict as you are for some things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the key. And, and that's, I think, why they hired me, is that you need to be flexible. Because if you come here like a soldier, you will first get crazy and second, get crazy with everyone because you know in, in Europe when you're late big problem you know mm. half a second late that's going to be a fine here or they have a minute they're, they're late a minute it's, you know depending on the situation it's it's bad or it's not bad you know? so you need to really adapt to that we had to adapt to, to the heat because now this summer we were training at uh, very late in the evening because it was still four to five degrees so that was that's unbearable you need to adapt on, on what you give them to drink you need to monitor their weight before the training and after the training to see how much fluids they lost and what you do with that afterwards you need to adapt to their food so as i was saying in russia they had this little type of caviar toast here they eat something that's called arika it's a type of cheese bread banana 5000 calories <laughs> you know that they eat yeah. every player every team before the game in the evening 
wow. without you knowing. So they bring that in, yeah, in the hotel without you, you knowing. And then you find pots, or you you see them be, oh no no I don't need. So yeah, you really yeah. need to, to adapt to that. But that's cultural. So if you tell them you're not allowed to eat that anymore, you you will get them against you. So what yeah. you need to do is you need to educate them and say, okay, eat just a little bit. Because then you will have your food, you will have your calories, you will not be heavy the day after. And yeah, and yeah the problem is it's really good. So I, I tried once. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, they said that they had a coach here before. I don't know when exactly. That was like, yeah, you cannot eat this. And it was really strict and, and they were not allowing it. And then he tried <laughs> and he started to have it. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's really hard. And, and my period, my most difficult period here uh, was Ramadan. Because as I said, everything is closed till yeah. very late in the afternoon. Um, sun goes down. It's, it's a little bit, I, would, I don't know if I could say easier than, than in Europe. Because the sun goes down here around 6.30. So they don't need to wait till 9 or 10 like we do, like the Muslims do in, in Europe. Um, but yeah, you, you need to wait all day. So you wake up 8, 9, then you train at, at 10 in the evening. It's a very long day. And then everything's closed, so you cannot go to the shop, you cannot go to the mall, you cannot buy food because the shops are closed, of course, because they're not allowed to eat. So that was mentally really tough because you feel like the day is never ending. And then, okay, you, you train at 10. Training is finished, I would say, 12. You get ready, you go eat. And then you go to bed at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Jeez. Because that's how it goes. Yeah. And this is... But, but then, again, you wake up 9 o'clock in the morning. So you slept 4, 5, 6 hours. Boom, and your day is again very long. So that was really hard. But I know now that when I'm going to go back to other countries, I'm going to see it differently so i grew a lot from that because now i understand better how they do it so when i was here in saudi arabia for 15 days in a row so half of them in ramadan because half we were back in belgium um i followed it so i was not eating uh, i was not drinking i was i was doing as they did uh, and it's really hard and that's that helped me understand better how they perform or how they act or why they're grumpy or you know, when you eat, when you, when you talk about this in Belgium, they will say, oh, I went to bed at five o'clock in the morning. Are you going to be like, oh, come on. Stop yeah. saying. You don't think of what you eat, and then you eat again, and then you go back to bed. But now experience that it's not possible because one, it's the social moment of the day. Second, you eat, and then you don't want to go to bed because you're awake because of digestion or because of the food intake or because you needed to be awake so, so that's really really difficult and i will be less of differently strict with players who do ramadan because i think i will understand them better yeah what's the culture like in saudi arabia because um i'm not too familiar with with the country to be honest and um i know that in places like dubai they have certain rules that are very different to us. Um, so, so what's the culture like there? Well, it is same as Russia. Um, we don't really get a good view of how it is really here. So I was also thinking it's really strict and it's really hard. And yeah, yeah. But the country changed a lot the last three, four years. So <clears throat> I had friends who were here 10 years ago. I had friends who were seven years ago, three years ago. And 
when I talk to them, they're like, no, it's not possible. You're not in Saudi. Mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, my wife is here and, you know, in the, in, the, in the law, it's not an obligation anymore to cover your head. Yeah. It's not an obligation anymore to uh, wear an, an abaya. So, you know, this dress, you just need to hide your arms and hide your legs. Um, but okay. a lot of Saudi women in the big cities like Jeddah or Riyadh walk without a headscarf or a scarf just on the top of the head. So you see the hair from the front, you see the hair from the back. Yeah. They drive since 2018. They <clears throat> the Ministry of Sports obligated every club since January last year to hire women to work for the club. So we yeah. were one of the first clubs at uh, Al-Fatih to do this. And I think now we have, I don't know how many women working for us. So the country is really, really changing a lot in a very good way. Of course, you have no alcohol uh, and stuff like that, but I think it's going to open up a lot. And um, it might be like like Dubai or Qatar, maybe more like Qatar, where you could maybe have some things that they don't eat or they don't drink in specific places. You know, In yeah. Qatar, you can, you can have alcohol in, in some hotels. Not everywhere you cannot buy it. But when in Dubai, you can have it. Yeah. You can buy it yourself. And, uh, they're really yeah. investing, so they're creating a city called Neom. Okay. Um, where they invest in everything that's sustainable. Only green mm. energy, no fossil energies in the in the country. And two weeks ago, we went to visit uh, one of the UNESCO heritage places here. So, you know, there's Petra in Jordania. Right. Well, after that, they moved to Saudi and they made something similar. But the thing is, we were there and there was nobody. First, because it was not the start of the, the season started a few days after. Yeah. But because now they start to open to tourism. So um, you can come here with a tourist visa. You can travel alone as a female. You can uh, share a hotel room with a male, uh, which was yeah. before not, not allowed. A lot of these things were, were not allowed. So, it's moving forward in a favorable place. It definitely seems like it's an evolving country for sure because they seem to be pumping a lot of money into sports. Like if there's ever a big boxing fight, um, it looks like it's going to be hosted in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then obviously the government just bought Newcastle. That's Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I don't know if it's it's Saudi Arabia. I don't know if it's exactly the government, but it's, it's Saudi Invest, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It. But yeah, they, they have a concert now in, uh, in Riyadh in uh, November. Okay. And, uh, I think a lot of uh, famous DJs come. Rick Ross is coming. They're hosting um, a Super Cup of uh, Spain, I think. They're going to play a mix of the two big, uh, two big teams here. So Ali mm. Lala and Nasser playing against PSG. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, it's so, yeah, definitely involving. Yeah, and you see they, they're going to have, unfortunately, we're not going to be here because it's, it's the break, but they're having the Grand Prix of Formula oh, wow. One in Jeddah, uh, beginning of December. So really, you see that that it's evolving and that they yeah, they use sports for that also. You see the younger people, they start to travel more, they start to speak more English. So yeah. oh, I'm really, really happy to be here. So you're the one of the most experienced physiotherapists out there. You've gone from one extreme, Russia, to like minus 20 to 40 degrees in Saudi Arabia. It's, it's crazy. And it's really interesting that you have to adapt, you know, like the, the water 
uh, the water, like the the amount of water they ingest. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's really interesting to see, like culturally, all of these differences. It's really really and, and interesting. You, that's also that's that's why the job of communication is again very important because you don't know at first how to talk to them, mm. how to act, what to do. You you come here and you really like oh. Can I make jokes? Can I not make jokes? You know, can I um, be close? Can I touch? Can I not touch? You know, it's it's really you don't really know how they are. And then you start like everywhere. There's still football players, so you start to open up. You start to laugh. You start. They make jokes. You make jokes. You, you work well, but you need to be um, always thinking about the culture and, and what they do. So they're also used same as in Russia uh, regarding sports medicine. They more used to take things slowly, you know? yeah. wait, and when you don't feel pain, then you can start again, and then you start from zero, you go to 100. So you haven't trained in a month, then you don't feel anything, boom, tomorrow you play. We need to come and um, make them understand that it's not that way, because then you can get other injuries, and then you're not performing because you're not um, ready for it. Or So that's, that's really difficult. And then there's the food, and there's the language, so you need to... Yeah, find ways also for communication. So it's it's not easy, but they see the results. I think that's that's what gets us going with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the club is investing a lot also in infrastructure. So we have two new pitches. Now they're making two uh, new ones. They're building a new stadium. I have a whole new gym. Um, and, and when we started, there was nobody in the gym. And now 95% of the, the players come on, on their own. Yeah. Have the programs to do the thing, and we have a buy-in because we adapt. So, for example, there's one player who, when I arrived in November, he, he didn't play for eight or nine months, no play, no training, for yeah, as you said uh, to Kevin Bolle, I think uh, growing problems. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, we started to build up slowly, and and, uh, and in the end, now we since this season he played seven games as a central defender and um, he has, I think we have four clean sheets on these seven games. So he's really performing and they see the difference because he was going from, from nothing to now being starting 11 and, and undeniable, if I can say yeah. If I can yeah. say so. And then you get the other players. So what you need to do is, first we were really strict, oh, everybody in the gym that time. And then you understand that, oh, if he comes a minute or too late, he will still do the job. But if you start to yell at him, he will not do it. So then you don't have the buy-in. Or what mm-hmm. you can do is you work with specific players and then the other ones, they see them. Same with Ronaldo. You know? Ronaldo is going to do something. They're going to go, oh, I want to do that too. And, and then you get the other ones to get in that circle. And you see that we perform well. We, their bodies change. Some went with, yeah, from, from really high fat levels to, to being ripped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In an interview, um, you were really vocal about mental health and and it being quite a taboo subject in the world of football. Um, so you, we've talked a lot about the positive sides of obviously working as a physio. There are some darker moments which you mentioned already, which the which were like the working hours, for example. Um, how do you kind of cope with this and what do you think needs to change to because obviously if, in my opinion you guys like the backroom staff are athletes as well um you know you're, you're nearly as much there on the training ground as a player so you're athletes in your own right so tell me what what do you think could 
could change to make your guys' lives as easy? That, that's really interesting. Is that something I try to implement at, at Analect? And that I have a lot of discussions here with the physical coach about is that you cannot ask your players to perform if your staff is not performing. So if your staff is tired, if your staff is hungry, if your staff doesn't get the rest you need, if your staff doesn't get the recognition they need, you will get the same problems as the player. So you need to also, it's really good to say that we are athletes also because you need to take care of that. And, and I think that's the mentality of football. I try to implement that under like that. When your sister gets um, married, you cannot go because there's a game. Well, that's not supposed to be the way it is because you miss all of these moments. So you need to take time off. And that's something I learned maybe late in my career, but, but at least I have it now, is that for one day, you're not irreplaceable. If somebody can do your job if you give them the right task description and you say, you know, that's what he needs to do. That's what he needs to do. And, and if he's not as qualified, then you just draw the exercise or you send the exact exercise and you just ask him to execute. But I think that's something that they need to learn from the staff. So that's a work that needs to be done is, is take care of them too. Because when, when your assistant coach is tired, he cannot help you because he has mental fatigue. So you get the same problems as with the players. And then I think the key is communication and, and education. Start early so that they get used to it. That they know that it is a mental coach that's going to help you and not somebody that's going to judge you. Or also don't let the other people um, look at you differently because you go and see a mental coach. And I think that's something that, that they did well at Analect is that they managed to, yeah, teach the players that it's a positive thing, that they can talk about their problems. And then you do it or you don't do it, but nobody's going to go, oh, look, he's, he's going to talk to, to the sports psychologist. Yeah, he does. But now he's scoring, or now he's on the bench, or now he's starting 11, or, or now he's still in the stands, but at least you get to, to cope with, with the situation. And I think it's important, that's why we, your help is to see as soon as possible when something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you will miss out. I heard a story about a player in England who was really bad uh, at training in the games. And it's because at home he ran over his dog. So he was driving home and he went on the, the parking and his dog came, oh, he's left. And he ran mm -hmm. on his dog. But you know, that's really hard because maybe he's alone with that dog for years in his yeah. apartment. But he's not going to come and say, oh, fuck, I ran up. I ran over my dog. So you need to know, and if you're close enough to the players or to your staff, you see it on their face when something is not, not right. And then you, you just ask, are you asking a different way? Are you, you know, they get, they need to be open enough and your relationship with them needs to be good enough so that they tell you. And maybe it's not me, but maybe it's my staff. So I can tell to another physio working for me who's closer to him, like, oh, I noticed that he's not training well or his behavior behavior is different or he's, I don't know, he's driving really fast every time he, he arrives at the training ground. So maybe he's angry at home. So you go talk to him and then you report to me or you report to the sports psychologist. Mm. I think when we're going to invest more time and money in that and see how important it is to coach the coach, to coach the player, 
individually on these things, I think then then we're going to progress a lot in this world because because that's the key. When you're happy, you perform. Yeah. You're happy, you help. Yeah, it's when these moments happen as well, and then people on social media get on their back, and it's about sort of players being open about things that are going, not necessarily sharing really personal things, but maybe just being slightly open. Like when Jesse Lingard opened up about his mental health after going through two years of basically being abused at Man U by the fans and social media, he finally opened up, went to West Ham and then got his career back on track because, you know, his life had got better, uh, his home life. Um, and then, like, I remember one Christmas, um, Mourinho was going through a bad stint um, and he said, uh, he just come out on Boxing Day saying that his dog had just died. Um, so he's, he's not he's not really been himself recently. Um, and, and just th- things like that, you'll get a lot of support from social media and, and the fans and they'll understand because everyone's human at the end of the day. So I think it's important for athletes to sort of be transparent and not bottle everything up and uh, try and act like they can ha- have everything on their shoulders, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no, and it's... You know, it's, it's really difficult also because there's a lot of pressure, especially when you're in very big clubs and you're very famous. Yeah. Imagine being Lukaku. You cannot go to the mall. You cannot walk in the streets without being yeah. stopped by everyone. And sometimes you also have a bad day. And sometimes you don't want that. And sometimes you don't want, you know, you miss the penalty at the final of the World Cup for Mbappé, for example. You think yeah. he doesn't know? Yeah, of course I, he know. Knows. I, know. I know. And of course he's not going to sleep. And of course, he's not going to be happy, but but that's the thing, that that's high level sports, and, and it's really really difficult. And I think if we help the players more with that, and if we also educate the fans more, they will put less stupid comments. Because I know that Oof, Jamal Oof is playing um, for the Rangers after the hit on the yeah. on the goalkeeper, he received like messages and he was screenshotting them and posting them on, on social media, saying like. This is not normal. This is this goes way beyond football because yeah. he didn't do it on purpose, and I didn't say he didn't injure this football because, because you know it happened. He had two big cuts in, in his face, and <clears throat> of course there's something that um, happens because of that. But you cannot let people mock you everywhere, get pressure on you, on your family, because in the end of the day, it's, it's that also you know, that's the kid of that one, or, or they're going to put pressure on your kids. They're going to treat your kids bad and it's it's really difficult because you need to be able to talk about this because if you keep it inside then, then you're gonna rot it all mm. like that because at the end you need to be able to to speak and when you see that you open up with this it's more easy it's gonna take time and, and it's, it's not not easy to do at first but that's why you need to be close to at least one person and that can be the physio that can be the masseur that can be a friend but maybe then your friend who lives with you or who plays with you needs to talk to somebody for you that yeah. they can help you. And yeah. and yeah, it's it's really really heavy because some players they come from countries or they come from from backgrounds where they have nothing. They sleep with four in the same room, and if you don't succeed, you don't bring money home. And then your friends and your family and your mother and your father they don't eat. So it is a lot of pressure all the time. And then you add, yeah, you miss a penalty. Then this guy on social media says this, and this. Um, some people don't read anything, and some some read all the comments. Yeah. But then you start to believe it. Yeah, 
that's the thing we always say like after games and stuff like what do we see players doing that straight on their phone so it's, it's most likely that they're going to see the comments uh apart from obviously like you said the ones that block all the comments etc but in most cases yeah, but it's, i think it's not good because they they don't share with their teammates enough and yeah. um they get all the bad things also the good things but the bad things and then you will talk with the person in front of you and maybe today i'll talk with you here but then next week you're here with me sitting at the table and when i should exchange with you i'm going to send messages to all you you know yeah. but when you're here and i should do that so i try to put my phone down as, as much as possible i always have it on me in case there's an emergency but yeah i saw this with lingard he recently come out and said a yeah. big thing for him was uh, West Ham when, when, when he sort of got his career back on track. Um, an eye-opener for him was when he got in the car with Mark Noble, the captain, and uh, Lingard just sat in the back. He was on his phone and uh, Noble went to him, hey, no phones in here. Like, we don't have phones in this car. Um, so, like, Lingard put his phone down. They actually exchanged and then they started doing it around the club and, you know, when they're having a team meal or things like that, it, no phones allowed. So... Is a huge thing because you know they see these things on social media if they're not on the phones as much they're not going to see it and they're actually interacting with their teammates and it's just positive communication all the time you're going to build that team spirit and you really saw that with west ham last year the run that they have they're now in europe you know i think that was a huge factor yeah and, and i think it's important because when you see players score you said about van Zer. when when you see their interaction with the players that's something you build out of the pitch at training or, or in the dressing room or in the car, as you say, because you you exchange, you get to know his family, he gets to know yours, he knows your problem, he knows what you like, and then you find each other blindly because when he has the ball, I know that he's going to go first post. So what do I do? I give first post because I know he will be there. And he knows, oh, this guy has a ball. I'm going to go first post because that's where the ball is going to come. And that's, again, when you perform, when you are one team. When we were a champion with, with White Star, second division we were not the best team uh, it was Antwerp was there Open was there and at the end we won because we were the strongest together everybody was in the same shit or the same trouble and everybody wanted to rebuild his career so everyone was like okay we're gonna fight we're gonna fight you lose the ball I get it back but when I lose it you're gonna get it back yeah. that was what really made us become champion and you could feel it at the end when we were really on a good stroke. There was a song always uh, about the game that we just made by one of the players in okay. the dressing room. And everybody's, whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could feel the vibe. We yeah. come growing, growing, growing. And, and we won the championship on the last game, on the last day. Oh, wow. Then we didn't go But yeah, it was crazy to, to feel that. Mm. Going back to your career, um, something that I ask all guests, and it's really helpful for uh, the younger generation coming through, so young physiotherapists who are, who are aspiring. Um, what are some characteristics or psychological qualities you feel make a successful physiotherapist or why you've been so successful? Psycholo like Psychologically, what's helped you, you know? I think you need to be open, um, to, to different cultures, to different people. You need to be a good listener. I learned that throughout my career. I was first talking a lot, but now I'm, I'm more and more listening and then responding and let them finish. 
because there were studies saying that the when you go to the doctor, he interrupts you after a few seconds. But you need to let them talk the whole story before yeah. you interact because maybe you're gonna, as we had in the beginning here, we started to lose track everywhere because oh, everything is interesting, and then yeah, yeah. then you go away from what you what you really want to know. Um, so I think I think be open, listen, and don't be afraid to tell that you don't know, but yeah. find out. Yeah. Or know somebody who knows. Because there's more in three brains than in one. There's more knowledge in yeah. sharing than in holding. So I try to give as much as possible to, to the team that, uh, that works in my clinic in Brussels. Because I think you need to help people not make the mistakes you make. And, and that's easy. Because I made it. So I'm going to tell you what not to do. So you don't make it. And maybe you still may, will make it because you need to experience it yourself. But I think they need also to, to travel and, and yeah, exchange as much as possible. Go find people that interest you. Go see you know, CEO of that company or, or go watch a training of that. Put a lot of hours and effort in your work because that's, that's what's going to reward you. And, and put yourself central. Because you you get in that work, 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 and then oh, you divorce from your wife, blah, blah, you don't see your friends anymore, boom, boom, boom. And and at the end, when you're gonna need everybody, nobody's gonna be there because you were never at the wedding, you were never at the birthday party, you were never at the baptism. And that is not good. You need to be able to, if you want people to perform, you need to perform. And if you don't rest, don't eat well, don't walk out. It's the same problem as your players. And that's really hard. And you need to be able, able to have a person where you can yeah, just talk yeah. to. It can be your wife, it can be your friend, it can be somebody at work. And, and don't be scared about that. So I think that's, that's important. I think all of all of what you said there is so relevant to us. Like uh, We're in the stage right now where we're trying to like obviously build our little projects and we have the podcast going and yeah we've we've found ourselves really grinding like we haven't really had a break with our masters as well it's been a tough year so it's thanks for for kind of sharing that because it's it's going to help us as well for the future like so yeah but it is you know when you start it's also very important that you work a lot because then yeah. you need you need to build connection you need to but you need to build to work smart you mm. need to sometimes say okay i put it down because i need fresh air and i need to but of course there's, there's no secret. You need to work long times, long hours. But if you do it efficiently, you'll have time for something else. And sometimes when you go work out, you're going to go for a run, you're going to go play football, you're going to think about what bothers you and you're going to find the solutions and you're going to work out. And that's important to, to be able to do, do that. But I remember the first two years that I worked, I didn't take one day off. And I was working 16 hours a day has four or five different jobs and it was like it was crazy yeah. but then yeah you don't see your friends or, or, or you, don't, you gain weight you, you break up with your girlfriend I don't know but yeah. you need to do it but do it smart 100% yeah and it's I, good because when I when I check the list because I listen to the podcast when I check the list it's not a it's not a starting uh, project uh, layer uh, yeah well yeah, I guess we've been lucky along the way, but it's just like 
yeah it's we're trying to find a, a good balance like we were having discussions yesterday of like our, our next steps and uh and one point you did mention was like being able to uh delegate tasks to people and that's something we 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 have to learn because we've got so much work obviously we're gonna grind and stuff but we've got yeah we're at the stage where it's like we're at our limit so that's really like Especially you when saying you're that to is to the next level exactly like, yeah it's uh difficult and it's about building like tr i find it's really hard to trust other people to be able to sort of do it to your quality or and i'm really trying to get over that mental barrier of being able to trust people to do what i do you know i feel yeah. that it's something i've definitely got to learn because it's going to help me so much um in, in delegating tasks and things like that and, and growing as a business you know yeah. yeah it's true but you will if you have the right person you can do it with your eyes closed i give my clinic i'm not there I'm not there i just go once a month i go back but i trust them blindly i give them patience i give them high 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 level athletes or grandmas or my mother i send them to my colleagues because i trust them and it's not the same but it's the same level of uh, performance or yeah. what I need and that's good and when of course sometimes I'm not happy or they're not happy but you you will if you set your standards high and you get people who do the same it's going to be different but the work will still be what you need yeah. that's that took me time to understand and taking time off so that when I took the days off now I really said to my wife like we don't use our phones we only use them to take photos for the rest they stay on play mode because you need this time to yeah cut off of everything for and for that business forward. for that business to fully function like where you're not there um because i own a business on the side of like this thing i've got going with john and i'd love for that to be able to fully function without me being there and me sort of being able to just like manage get customers and, and things like that what, are there any tips you give to a to a business owner for it to be able to fully function with you away from that? You know, what tips would you? I give? think you need to schedule meetings with them and give tasks. So you say, okay, on, on every Monday at that time, you need to be there, or or any given time. But you're sure that you stick with it, um, and then you give tasks. So now I have a, a project going on with two of the the physios that are working there. But they need to do some stuff. And then when I get all the info, I redistribute, I do my part, they do their part. And, and you need to give tasks that you think, or you know that they can handle, or that they're better than you at, and then manage from afar. But you need to dedicate time to it yeah. and, and not let it go, because then your business will you know, go away from what you believe in. So you need to be close to what is happening. But it, it's not easy. And there's always something that happens. Like, Today they call me the, the heaters doesn't work. I'm sorry, but I'm seven hours away <laughs> before I call somebody. Find you. Yeah, so yeah. Then you get all of these troubles and you need to manage that on top of everything. It's not easy, but you need to dedicate your time and put your phone down at that moment because then you will be busy with what you need to do and then you pick it up again. Okay. That's the thing that I think the good tip I can give you is use your phone at some given moment, even if it's just to watch videos or on TikTok or on Instagram and just waste time, do it, but don't do it too long because you get in that 
Yeah. And when when you need sometimes sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to answer to the ten messages I received. Um, okay. um, 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 um. Yeah, that's solid yeah, advice for sure. Thank you so much. It's so funny because like this podcast is well, it's aimed to help athletes, coaches, physiotherapists, and it's oh. kind of switched to you helping us now. Like we're learning <laughs> off you. <laughs> it's called mastering the Glen. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's yeah, the beauty yeah. of podcasting, I guess, and and having chats like this. But yeah, we fantastic oh, advice. It's, it's really cool, and it makes me think. Also, that's why I like to do that because when you when you share makes you think of other things you learn of, of, from others so you also grow from doing this i think yeah. that's cool you need to you need to share what people don't know or what you think you can help them with 100 that's the whole reason for this podcast you know everyone shares their journey and, and you take some things away from it and it might yeah. you might take something away from it that's completely separate like you're talking to me about physiotherapy and I'm going to apply it to my gardening business. Yeah. You know? it's, it's great. Yeah, um, no, so it's all applicable and transferable. Yeah. So talking about that, um, you mentioned it earlier, you founded Get Up and Over in 2013. What does Get Up and Over mean to you? That's a very good question. It means to me, it is my way of thinking or working. So it means that as I said earlier, when something happens in your life, you need there's two two options that you have. You either let it take over your life, or you try to function as good as possible with it. So it hits you in the face, you fall down, then you need to get up, and then you need to get over that obstacle. And that is my way of, of thinking. And, and that goes from becoming stronger after an injury or just as an elder person, being able to go from your bed to the table to eat. So it's applicable to everyone at every level for everything. And you know that some things you cannot control, but if you control and put your energy into what you can, in the end, it's most likely to, to change. And, and of course, yeah, some, some people have hard lives and, and hard things that happen to them. That you cannot change, but you need to see how strong you can be and how you can manage them so that it, it makes you grow and it makes you move forward. And uh, I think the clinic is a place where people can come from every level, from every age, from every sport, and where they can get uh, a professional follow up with the equipment, with the people working there, that they would get if they're a professional athlete. Yeah. Because usually that's what they don't get. And that's why we try to work with podiatrists. That's why we have a nutritionist. That's why we try to you know, bring in the mental aspect. Because if you say, oh, come to me as a physio and then you go there for your massage or there for your insoles, people will say, oh yeah, I will do it. And then they forget. But if you're on site, it's much easier because you bring the service that they need at the same location, they don't need to change. We help with food, we help with um, supplementation. So I think that's what I, what it is. It's, it's sharing what I received as an injured person um, and, and putting what I see at high level, what I do with the highest athletes that I work with and give that to, yeah, yeah John, John Q, is that what you say? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So, it sounds like a great company and um, a great idea. 
it's all in one place and um, I can definitely definitely make, make sense of that yeah you should have seen Glenn's um, walkout like announcement uh, video I, I think okay. it was like a couple of years back very highly rated it you'll have to go see on the <laughs> social I'll, media I'll have to check it out <laughs> my wife is now taking care of the new social media oh, so yeah? uh, if it's good now it's hers if it's bad then it's it's me <laughs> <laughs> no no that's um um, but yeah, no, in terms of all the questions we had for you, they were all the questions, um, but we obviously ask our social media audience and see if they've got any questions for you. This is a segment where we just reel them off one by one and uh, get your insight into their answers, uh, questions. So the first one is, do you miss the Belgian fries? Yes. <laughs> Every time I go back, my first stop, I drive from the airport to my house. I pass by a fry place. Okay. We stop and I eat till I roll. Uh, <laughs> and, I need to try this. <laughs> last time I didn't go back to Belgium. And my colleagues, they were sending me food. Or when they came back, they said, oh, I had this, I had this. And I was like, mm. <laughs> it's the first stop. First stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's yet to try like uh, Fricadel, uh, Durum, uh, and all the sources, obviously, um, yeah. Brazil, Andalus. But I, uh, I don't bring them back because then I, I will be too fat if I'm here. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's really yeah. it's a must go to. Yeah, I'll have to go over. Yeah, you have to come and taste. Have to come yeah, and taste. Yeah, for sure. So the second question was Who is the most talented player you have worked with? Um. There were a few really high level, as we said before, like Samir Nasri. I used to watch him on TV and then I was with him on the pitch. He, he makes a good ball with a shitty ball. So you give him a very bad pass and he will drop it where he needs to yeah. be. And then, so okay. um, I think he's probably one of the highest level players I've, I've, I worked with him and, and defensively, I would say Vincent Company. Yeah. Fair enough. Fantastic. And then the third one, I feel like you've already asked the, uh, answered this during the podcast, was about uh, giving advice to young physiotherapists. But you, you've already mentioned, um, obviously, uh, your advice to them. So, no, yeah, the, the podcast is... Uh, sorry for keeping you this long, but the conversation no, 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 is no, so no. good. Yeah, it's, it was uh, really nice. But as I said, they can always contact me on, on social media. Or, or, uh, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's, that's the easiest. I always answer I don't, I answer as, as quick as possible. Sometimes we travel or we have training or it's different times also. It's, you can always contact me or through you if, if there's another other questions. But no, it was really nice to for me to, to talk and I was like, oh, fuck, I need to prepare. I need to prepare, I need to see. And uh, it was really nice because it makes me think, it makes me want to share more, it makes me... Uh, reflect yeah, as well happy also. yeah it's, yeah it's really cool no yeah i've enjoyed it and all, all your socials and that will be in the description um anything to do with the clinic uh we'll definitely put that in as well yeah no but i really enjoyed it thanks for sharing this time with us man it was uh yeah, really eye opening. Really yeah so it's yeah cool. and when you come to belgium uh let's meet let's go i'll pay fries for everyone yes <laughs> I'm, down. I'm there i'm there definitely um but yeah if you could please share this with your friends or someone you, you would feel would benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions or guests you'd like us to get on in the future. Also, go follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links will be in the description of the YouTube video. Other than that, thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one.